goodness gracious scorekeepers welcome back to the score it is our fantastic wonderful podcast all about classical music and opera and pop culture all uh, from the perspective of three black queer arts administrators as always i am your host rocky jones and i'm here with my two amazing fabulous co-hosts first the incredible paige reynolds hello paige hola how are you doing today? <laughs> <laughs> are you enjoying this, this cold snowy weather <laughs> uh, well, I'm about to enjoy it better because I got new uh, snow tires. Holler. Oh, look at you. Good for you. <laughs> yeah, I went to the gym yesterday and then came back and there were still four inches of snow on the ground to shovel and mm. I wanted to murder someone. <laughs> I was not happy. <laughs> but of course, what would we do without live from New York? it's friday morning (laughs) the incredible dr lee bynum hello dr lee bynum and happy aquarius season thank you i'm so glad that someone acknowledged that we were finally back in my house in my time around my people (laughs) where things are about to get a little weird so Good morning to all the queerdos out there. Glad to be joining you. (laughs) And we should say that this is Lee's first recording from your new place. So we're still kind of testing out the sound. Echo, echo, echo. Yeah, so if there's some echoes or some street (laughs) noise, please bear with us. Um, But how are your, how is your first few days back in your old stomping grounds? You know, I just, I just have to say that, um, I am so happy to be home. Um, Had a (laughs) great time while we were in Minnesota, but as you and Paige were just talking about uh, snow tires and four inches of this and that, I was just sitting here thinking, oh, I am so glad to be where I am, where it is a balmy 41 degrees outside. And if I wanted to go outside, I could go in sneakers because there is no snow on the ground. Ugh. So, yeah, Ugh. I hadn't realized <laughs> how much I missed New York until I was actually back on New York ground with my own keys to my own apartment. It wasn't like a hotel situation. It was like, oh, yeah, I live here again. And it's, you know, it was kind of funny because uh, we had this recent guest on who was talking about conducting at the Richmond Symphony. And while Richmond is the city of my birth and I lived right outside it for 18 years, it doesn't feel like home to me. It might have something to do with all those Confederate war monuments. They mm-hmm. love to pepper around the city. Maybe that did it. Or, but... the, or the whole avenue, Monument Avenue in the middle of the City. I, I mean, I mean, look, where where they could name something Confederate anything, they would name it Confederate anything. And I'm glad they've taken down a couple of those statues, but I'll bet there are all kinds of high schools and middle schools and neighborhoods with all kinds of wild names oh, still you know it. politely affixed to the signs because everybody in Virginia is so polite. But it's actually New York and Hong Kong where I feel much more 
at home. I don't, I don't know if it's the, you know, slightly abrasive tones or the, you know, gently bad attitudes you see all over the place. <laughs> those are the cities where I feel like I belong and I'm glad to be back at a place where I got yelled at at a Starbucks a couple of days ago, but it was my fault for asking for something. Oh. So, I'm, like, oh. <laughs> I'm home. I'm getting yelled at by teenagers again. Yay! Yay! <laughs> I I can't remember if I've talked about this on the show before. I might have, but I always felt like my favorite thing about living in New York was like being able to just like walk down the street and like think out loud <laughs> and just like talk to yourself because like there's a dude over there on the corner like talking to the trash can why can't I just talk to myself <laughs> and then here in Minnesota people tend to look at you like you're <laughs> like something is terribly wrong <laughs> it's funny my housemate was talking about this she also lived in New York for a while um doing professional Afro-Cuban dance and uh she talked about how you know, when you're in a African traditional religion, um, you there are certain things you do that are that are public or that are outside or certain places that you're supposed to go <laughs> or prayers that you're supposed to say publicly, like maybe at a crossroads or something like that. <laughs> and she just commented how it was so nice because you could do all of those things and nobody would think anything of it. Why are you mumbling holding a chicken at a crossroad nobody knows and they don't care <laughs> it's just tuesday it's all good <laughs> or everybody knows and they don't care like that's the other really lovely thing about it it's like i feel like i've been recontextualized right where like aspects of my culture are no longer peculiarities they're completely recognizable as being what they are and unbothersome to people because of it, right? It's like, oh, I've met a person of African or Caribbean descent before, so I know what you're doing. I, I know why you're wearing that. I know what you're saying. I know what your accent is. I know what food you like to eat, and I'm going to put the appropriate <laughs> level of spice in it. Any mm, number gosh, of wild things are going to start happening to me again, and I can't <laughs> wait. <laughs> living vicariously <laughs> oh my goodness gracious i can smell it through the screen yep <laughs> i'll just I be have... over here being stared at for wearing all white <laughs> <laughs> well at least maybe you can camouflage at during this part of the year at least <laughs> 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 I wish it worked that way. Yeah. No, I just have to come visit Lee. There you go. Yeah, there, there you go. go. <laughs> yeah, as we descend upon your apartment. <laughs> well, at least there will be something to absorb some of the sound. I can't wait to our stuff gets here because living in an apartment, we so basically we move cross country and the movers are bringing our furniture and it's going to take about five days so we mm. we have a couple of days here where we have just the new furniture and like not other things that we're accustomed to like you know chairs or a bed so it's been a very interesting 
couple of, of days here where all of the excitement is sort of centered around a dining table that has no chairs, um, but that is the furniture <laughs> that is here, so. <laughs> well, hopefully, and, and I pray for your back, um, <laughs> yeah, seriously. But I hope all of that, the movers are on time and nothing gets broken. Good Lord. <laughs> oh my goodness. Yeah, absolutely. All of that, all of that, all of that. But speaking of New York, um, a couple of weeks ago, there's a very, very exciting um bit of of news from uh the new york times that we haven't talked about yet and that is um that the um metropolitan opera on the campus where you now work lee um is going to tap their endowment to the tune of 30 million dollars to stage more operas by living composers which <laughs> who, by the grace of God, <laughs> have been outselling the classics um, this past year. So, you know, titles like Fire Shut Up in My Bones and The Hours have seen a huge spike in popularity, whereas some of the older operas um, that have been staged 10 trillion times um, mm-hmm. have not. Mm-hmm. So, go figure. Isn't that exciting? Mm-hmm. You know, one it. of the things that drew me to Minnesota Opera was the the fact that it had this reputation for developing new works, and it was really one of my favorite things about working there. I'm, you know, I, I like the classics in opera as much as anybody else who likes the classics in opera, but I'm especially interested in newer work, right? What new stories we can tell and what new creators we can give opportunities to tell these stories so seeing this and this acknowledgement that a um, these works do sell people are very interested in hearing it there there are aficionados as well as new audience members who are very curious about what this is going to look like i i love that acknowledgement and then secondly i also just like the fact that we are really sitting in this conversation about if the art form is to continue and we all want it to, then we have to do different things. We can't continue to produce in the ways that we always have and then assume that one, the audience that we've established for ourselves is going to live forever and that B, that new people don't need to be engaged and this engagement takes a long time and we have to cultivate it and be consistent and be thoughtful and people do care about new stories being told in new ways, thinking differently about musical forms and how the voice is utilized and what instruments are being written into the score. I think all of this is really important. So I, I just love that the Met was moving in that direction and that they will be doing X, The Life and Times of Malcolm X by the great Anthony Davis next season. I will be there with bells on probably twice once so i can just listen and experience and then the second time so i can listen and think about it and talk about it with my friends so i'm super excited about this change super super excited so exciting and again i i looked at it and i said oh okay so that's when i'm gonna be visiting lee (laughs) (laughs) 
yeah and just makes all the sense all the sense in the world go figure right everything (laughs) (laughs) given everything it just makes all the sense like what the world has collectively gone through of course we don't want to we don't want to see the same things given what people have been saying about Mm -hmm. the natural progression of (laughs) people (laughs) who you know are older white maybe only prefer your typical a operas or you know the stuff that is most strictly classical those folks are Mm -hmm. frankly dying (laughs) like that's just the natural life cycle so it just it, it it makes sense and i hope we see other people like following their following their lead and and learn from also the, the the data i love some i love some good data that backs up what we've been saying like it'd be cool if people listen the first time but like also like <laughs> having some data or you know a case study being able to say see i, I like that <laughs> and as an artist i'm so excited for the artists like yes. it is just yeah. so cool because i mean i know like you know so many singers like you know there's one role that's kind of their bread and butter um but i would just think it's just any and and they talked to a number of of, um artists in this in this article but that is just so freeing and you get to like not sing like mimi in lavo m for like Mm -hmm. the 30th time like you actually get to like get up there and like just dive into something new and sink your teeth into it and create something from scratch. Um, I mean, as an artist, that's the type of thing that I get really excited about. Like, sure, yeah, great. Like, you know, you know, I, I, when I used to perform, you know, like getting up and, you know, doing, you know, the song that people like, you know, for the 50th time, you know, (laughs) (laughs) cool, great fantastic i'm glad you enjoy it thank you so much but being able to do something new and fresh and bring like the the work of these you know living composers that you can actually like go and go up to and speak to and be like what do you think about this or what if we tried this or whatever like i don't know that i just think that's so exciting i do too and and it sounds like the way that you keep art forms healthy, right? And this is not this idea of, you know, throwing out the baby with the bathwater, which I, again, I maintain is just the worst analogy ever. We really need to think of a new thing. But but we can do two things at the same time, right? We can Mm -hmm. keep the things that are important to us that still reflect our values that we still feel like we're proud of. We can recontextualize or have a conversation about the things that are problematic or no longer comport with how we see ourselves as a society and then we can certainly embrace and cultivate new work created by people who are actively interested in seeing the the art form continue and i mean i think that's that is a a healthy way to approach it and i think some of our healthiest um artistic disciplines like film and and tv which we don't always talk about as the artistic disciplines that they are but they are truly you know these very important ways that we capture narrative right now 
they are figuring out how to do that, how to stay current with audiences, how to use technology to their benefit, how to sort of make a bigger umbrella for folks to be able to experience the thing. And, and I think more of us on the performing arts side have to be able to understand how we integrate those ideas and those methods into what we're doing. That's what I think in a way. Well, I think that that's very smart. Why, thank you. As usual. <laughs> <laughs> well, since it seems that today's theme is New York, why don't we keep the party going? <laughs> <laughs> and today we will be visited by um, the incredible host of the Harlem Connection, Al Ade Williams. And we had a super fun conversation with him about... All sorts of things about Harlem, about comic books, about the Apollo. Um, and I don't know, I had a whole lot of fun, so I hope you all so will fun. too. <laughs> <laughs> and so we will be right back with Ade. Welcome back, scorekeepers. Did you miss us on that little break? <laughs> uh, <laughs> no worries. We are back with a uh, amazing guest that I'm really excited about. This is going to be fun. We are talking to El Ade Williams, the conceiver, executive producer, and one of the musical conductors of the Harlem Connection weekly radio show that provides you the artists and the sounds that helped establish Harlem as a cultural mecca. Ade has also served as the Apollo Theater's Community Programs Director, the Harlem Week Festival's Executive Director, a DC Comics Editor, and a writer for publications including the New York Amsterdam News and the New York Daily News. We are so excited. Welcome, Ade. Yay! Welcome! <laughs> Thank you. Uh, which, okay, if I'm facing the camera, which way should I? Where's the camera? <laughs> no camera wait hold on this is my like this is my opera debut i'm wearing a, tu a tuxedo oh I, my goodness I, I i got the i got the helmet with the horns and everything oh and my just, goodness you can see me <laughs> what the podcast is this all right I, I, i'll roll with it anyway i'm ready i bet you sharp I bet you're fine. I wish I could see you, but I just know you are. I can hear it. <laughs> well, thank you for joining us, Ade. I'm so excited. And I think first, like, I, I was excited to talk about your show, to talk about Harlem. And then I thought about, like, we have listeners in, like, India, you know? <laughs> and so, yeah, yeah. And so... I wonder if you could introduce, I introduced a little bit about Harlem Connection, but talk about the show and why Harlem, your connection to Harlem and yeah, it's significance. What are you exploring on the show? Well, wow, a lot of that question. How do I break that down? <laughs> um, hmm. uh, I'll go with the... My connection to Harlem is my family moved here in 1919, and mm. I was really fortunate because 
Um, my great grandmother and great grandfather were the ones who moved here. But luckily for me, my great grandmother lived to be over a hundred years old. Oh, and wow. so yeah. and, wow. and so I got to hear all of these stories about Harlem during the Roaring Twenties, during the Harlem Renaissance, during the Great Depression, during the Civil Rights Movement, from somebody who had lived it firsthand, as opposed to like reading about it in a book. And that is one of the many reasons I got to appreciate how special this community is. Um, in terms of you said you have listeners over in India. I'm proud to say that we do too. Uh, in fact, one of them gives me <laughs> feedback regularly. So uh, thank you so much uh, for the feedback I get from Sirsha. Um, I think kind of the point of our show, right? So what we do with the Harlem Connection is we play music from every genre and every era. Like we will play stuff from the 40s to 2023 from all kinds of genres with one thing, which is everybody we play somehow has to connect to Harlem. And we define a Harlem connection as the artist or someone related to the song we're playing has to have either lived in Harlem, gone to school in Harlem, worked in Harlem, or performed in Harlem. And that can be the singer or the songwriter or the producer or one of the musicians in the band or what have you. But there has to be some kind of Harlem connection. So we play the music and then we explain, hey, here's how this connects to Harlem. Well, hopefully the show works for two reasons. One is because of Harlem's rich history and culture and diversity mm -hmm. and the fact that, yes, Harlem is a physical location, but it is symbolic of mm -hmm. Black yeah. America, of Hispanic America, what have you. So that's part of why I like to believe this show works. But the other thing and the important thing is the point of the show is really how we're all connected. And so some of the greatest artists from all over the globe have intentionally come to perform in Harlem. Some of the greatest creators have come to Harlem. And so there is a connection, whether you're from India or South America or South Africa or London or Japan or what have you, where if you keep listening, you're gonna go, oh, wait a minute. I didn't know that fill in the blank had a Harlem connection, or maybe you do and you're very proud of it because this has always been a ridiculously diverse community. And so, you know, people talk about gentrification these days and that kind of thing. But I remember my great grandmother telling me about, oh yeah, and over here, like that used to be an Irish neighborhood. Oh, really great grandma? Like, yeah, oh, yeah, the, yeah. The, the Irish were over here. And then over in these blocks, like that was the Italian section and, and what have you. And yeah. some of those enclaves still live. Uh, and so what we try to do with this show, I tell you, it's a Harlem themed radio show you know you're gonna hear hip-hop you know you're gonna hear james brown right but then we throw in music by the gershwins right then we throw in music by bob dylan and you're like wait what it's like <laughs> right because they lived in harlem right and so part part of the show part of the premise of the show is you know, and i think 
frankly, what I think we have in common with the score is sometimes you kind of try to put people in a certain box and you try to just, oh, this is how I see you. And therefore this is how you're limited. Whoa, 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 whoa. Like, no, that's your limitation, but we're actually far deeper for far more diverse um, than you may think. And so whether that is a community or a podcast or a radio show or what have you, it's about expanding the, the boundaries. So uh, that's my answer to at least a couple of your questions. <laughs> <laughs> Thank well, you so, so much. Well, so that gets me thinking. So, um, you know, my family has um, a lot of connections to New York as well. Um, most of my family lived in Brooklyn, but we do have a number of Harlem connections um, <laughs> as well. Um, and I lived in New York on the Upper West Side, um, Morningside Heights and Washington Heights specifically, but I spent a lot of time in Harlem. And the thing about walking around in Harlem in that community is, you know, you are just sort of inundated with all sorts of sights and sounds and smells and all sorts of music happening. Like you mentioned earlier, you know, hip hop and jazz and and R&B, but, you know, also like salsa and merengue and all of those uh, sounds as well that you think about. And there's so many, you know, uh, when you think about the art of Harlem, there are so many things that are just, you know, synonymous, you know, the Harlem Renaissance and hip hop and all of that stuff. But I'm just curious, like, and in as you've been doing this show now, um, have there been any Harlem connections that you have found to be really surprising? Like, oh, wow, I had no idea that this person had a Harlem connection or that person had a Harlem connection that, you know, you really got excited about sharing. Oh, it happens uh, all the time. The ones that you didn't know did and the ones that you think did and you're like, wait, I cannot find one. So I guess... Uh, yeah, so there's a, there's an answer. There's kind of two answers to your question. So, um, I do the show in conjunction with uh, with a number of people. Uh, so my regular co-conductors are DJ Black Icon One and Mama Soul. And I think part of what works about the show is we all have eclectic tastes, but where my weakness might be someone else's strength. So like one of our very first, and, and there's a sense of independence about it. So I do my block and then she, Mama Soul does her block, DJ Black Icon One does his block. As long as they're within the theme, it works. So one of the surprises for me was DJ Black Icon One played Fiona Apple. And I was oh. like, wait, what? <laughs> and yeah, uh, so Rocky, you mentioned Morningside Heights, mm -hmm. but so Harlem is called Harlem, but there are different sections of Harlem. So there's El Barrio, East Harlem, right? There's Central Harlem. Uh, and Morningside Heights is a part of Harlem. Um, and frankly, used to advertise itself as Harlem um, until the image of Harlem started changing and the real estate agents started playing mm -hmm. up the name Morningside Heights more so. Um, but yeah, Fiona Apple is is from that area. Um, so that was a surprise to me. Um, there are a lot of others that aren't necessarily surprises to me per se, but might be surprises to the audience, um, whether it's Metallica or uh, Harry Houdini or Al Pacino. Um, you know, there are other like little surprises, like, you know, you think of a great artist like Tito Puente, who was a proud Puerto Rican, but was actually 
born in Harlem, right? As was mm. Harry Belafonte, who was born in Harlem. So, uh, so, so there's always different ways of coming at it. So, what we do with this show is uh, the Harlem connection is always the foundation, right? Um, but just like with your podcast, we want to have people coming back every week. So every week we come at it with a different theme. And so the theme kind of shapes what we do. So for example, um, we, so we do a, uh, an annual show called, uh, it's around Valentine's day. And we do a journey called, uh, the Harlem love disconnection because, <laughs> I realize once that, um, and, and this happens all the time, like, you know, I was speaking to this young lady once and she was talking about her upcoming wedding plans. And she's like, yeah, and I'm going to walk down the aisle to, uh, or and, and was she was either, no, she, her first dance was going to be Before I Let Go by Frankie <laughs> Beverly and Mays. And I was like, um, it's a great song, but that song is about breaking up you know it's like wait what no it's not i'm like well if you listen to the lyrics it's like before i let you go like it's about breaking up right that's in the title it's, <laughs> right but and i'm not trying to clown her like a lot of times we're listening to the music and not necessarily paying attention to the lyrics mm -hmm. so every year as a public service announcement right around valentine's day we do a, a journey called the Harlem Love Disconnection, all songs that we highly recommend you do not dedicate to your significant other for <laughs> Valentine's Day weekend. Like, <laughs> if you like the song, cool, but do not dedicate this for, during Valentine's Day weekend because if your significant other pays attention to the lyrics, you're going to have a problem, right? So we'll come up with a theme like that, and then we'll start, like, kind of brainstorming, like, okay, what songs I want to play, right? And then we'll think, okay, well, I'm thinking of this song. Who does this song? And now the research begins. So some of them will know instantly because I saw so-and-so perform at the Apollo and Black Icon 1 saw so-and-so perform at such and such place. And Mama Soul is, she is, I'm sure there's a better term for this, but she's our party girl. Like Mama Soul is the person who, like literally, no lie, like I was at a concert where I saw Mama Soul and before the concert was over, she was leaving and I was like, well, wait, they're going to come back for an encore. She's like, yeah, I know, but I got tickets for this other show. And she was like, <laughs> she literally was going for like, doing like multiple concerts in one night. So we oh, all come funny. with different kind of, uh, so we'll all kind of brainstorm and go, okay, well, I'm going to play this song by this person. And I know they have a hard connection because I saw them, but I also want to play this song. And then we start doing research to be like, okay, can we justify playing this song? And if so, what, tidbit of information can we give to the audience and that's kind of how we we uh put the whole thing together you know i think anybody who spent any amount of time in harlem can understand why it's more than a place how it manages to be an attitude a, a state of mind a, a, a sort of a way of thinking about your place in the world um can you talk a little bit about the genesis of the show, how did you get the idea to create it, and then how you went about um, sort of setting the whole thing up? Uh, Lee, thanks for the question. So there's kind of two answers, right? The first real genesis is from my youth, 
right? Um, listening to radio and being with my family, my dad, my mom, what have you. Um, the second Genesis goes back to what Rocky said about walking around Harlem mm -hmm. um, and putting those two things together, realizing that I had the opportunity of a show idea that just kind of marinated in my head. And then the third thing was how it came to fruition, which was the pandemic. So let me try to marry all three. Um, so when I was coming up, uh, you know, I'm in my early 50s here. And so this, what I'm about to explain, like a lot of people are not going to quite get this, but <laughs> um, when I was coming up, like you, know, there was the main black radio station in New York City, right? Mm -hmm. And we listened to radio. So if we were in the car, then because there was like one station and they had to kind of cater to everyone, they would be playing The Temptations or Smokey Robinson, right? And my father would be singing along and what have you. And then they would play Prince, who at the time was a relatively new artist, and I would be singing along, and my father would be like, oh, who's this? I'm like, oh, daddy, that's Prince, right? You know? So it had to be multi-genre and multi-generational because it had to service all of us. And as a result, my father learned about my music and my generation, and I learned about his, right? Nowadays, you don't have that experience. Not only are the stations segmented, this one only plays hip hop and R&B, this one only yeah. plays classical, mm -hmm. this one only plays that. But even if you're all in the car together, like folks are listening to stuff on their headphones as opposed to having a shared experience. And I felt like radio is missing a lot because it's not finding ways to bring us together and connecting us. Ergo, the name, the Harlem Connection. So that was part of it. Um, the other thing is what Rocky mentioned earlier. Uh, you grow up in an area and you just... It just is what it is. And you just kind of often take it for granted, right? You know, like uh, you, you grow up in an area where, there are, where there's 14 inches of snow and you're like, oh, yeah, it snows, right? Well, that's foreign to me, but you, you guys might be used to it, right? Uh, well, I'm getting PTSD. <laughs> well, in Harlem, as Rocky said, if you walk around Harlem for 25 minutes, you're going to hear multiple genres of music um, coming from people's cars, coming from their windows of their apartments in a, in a bodega, what have you. And it's so rich and diverse. And in my mind, I thought, okay, well, that's just how it is until I started visiting other places and be like, wow, everywhere I go, they only play country Western music everywhere I go. Like, well, yeah, that's because you're in this part of the country and or this city or this town. And that's what they do here, period, point blank. And so I started realizing that there was something unique about Harlem and New York City and other areas where there's more of a diverse melting pot. Mm -hmm. um, and so those kind of things made me think, you know, hey, kind of wish we had a show or a radio show that kind of brought people together uh, that wasn't just one thing. Um, so that's what gave me the idea of the show. But what really kicked it into gear for the most part was the pandemic. Um, mm. Harlem 
was really going through it during the time. You know, the Apollo Theater and all the theaters were closed. Like most most places were closed, other than some restaurants, you know, here and there, what have you. And, and a lot of what makes Harlem Harlem is the culture, the arts, mm -hmm. and those venues were closed. And so we wanted to champion that we wanted to have a show that reminded people like how special a community this is and these amazing venues and these amazing artists and so that when things reopened people were eager to return to them and or during the times when they were closed maybe people would go online to see some of the apollo or harlem stages or uh or um the schomburg's online programming so that was our way of trying to kind of do our part to promote the community, promote this big venues, promote the small venues, and also promote the independent artists during a time where people could not see them live. Mm -hmm. And then um, and then we've just continued to do so. That's beautiful. And you you mentioned you mentioned the Apollo in there and I I I think watching your recent interview, you said you worked there for 15 years. And yes. Apollo is just legendary, <laughs> iconic, <laughs> of course. And I wonder if you could just, you know, tell us what that's what that's been like and what have been, you know, the most significant, you know, takeaways and and moments from that experience. It's not every day that we get to talk to somebody who worked at the legendary Apollo. And, uh, thank you. Get, and did you ever get to meet Kiki Shepard? <laughs> Rocky with the important oh, I I did not actually. I did not. Um, you know the again with my family having been in Harlem uh, since before the Apollo actually was the Apollo. Uh, it's it's had a lifelong connection to us, and so you know literally like my great-grandmother, my grandparents, everybody went to the Apollo. My father was on the board of directors for a period. I was going there since the time I was a little kid. And uh, and I also remember there a period where the Apollo was closed and how, um, and how the things that were hard in Harlem during that period of economic uh, plight and how they, then the pride that came back when the Apollo reopened. So I, I always want to thank the Honorable Percy Ellis Sutton and the Sutton family for their investment uh, in reopening the Apollo during a time where people frankly thought they were crazy and it would never work. Um, I know that when I was a kid during a certain period uh, and when Harlem was going through rough times, there was almost like a little stigma from being from Harlem. Um, and then mm -hmm. I remember mm -hmm. when the Apollo reopened and then there was the TV show Showtime at the Apollo and, and how quickly things changed from like, oh, you're from Harlem to, oh, you're from Harlem. Have you ever been to the Apollo? And like suddenly like mm -hmm. people think it was it was cool and realizing that what a difference that arts and culture and a venue that showcase us at our, at our best could make. Um, so that's kind of the, the main thing that stands out to me, but I'm not sure I answered your question. <laughs> I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, you know, the other thing that um, is 
what I got to realize uh, was that not all venues were equal, right? Um, I was fortunate enough to get to see other performers perform at other places, whether they were elsewhere in New York City or other states. Um, and I, you know what, I'll just say, I know I saw Ray Charles perform once mm. in, in Massachusetts, right? Amherst, Massachusetts. And he was Ray Charles. So of course it was a great show, right? He was terrific, mm -hmm. right? But then a little while later, like a year or two later, I saw him at the Apollo and the energy and the joy and mm. the effort and everything that he put into that show. It was a completely different, I mean, it was still Ray Charles, but it was like Ray Charles at his A game. It was just a whole nother Ray <laughs> <Wow>. Charles. And <laughs> I got to see that over and over and over and over again. Ooh. What's interesting about the Apollo is um, when people who've never been there walk into that theater, they're like, oh, it's a lot smaller than I thought it'd be. The Apollo holds like, <laughs> right? It's like my high school auditorium almost, right? And I'm being like literal. But despite that, you will have these artists who can sell out arenas that can literally fit like a hundred times that many people. But when they come to the Apollo, most of them come like as though like, it's the, like, it's like their big, break it's like you i saw you at madison square garden last year like but you're at the apollo and you are and i've seen people backstage like like a-listers who would be nervous like <laughs> nervous like they were amateur night amateurs where you're like um yeah but you're so-and-so they're like yeah 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 but this is the apollo i mean you can't you can't half step at the apollo <laughs> and, and i will let you know that the Apollo audience, for the most part, is consistent. The same way they will let an amateur have it and boo an amateur if they're not coming correct, they will boo an A-lister too. Like they're like, do not you do not phone it in at the Apollo Theater because they're like, listen, listen, listen. Last week we saw Beyonce. Week before we saw Bruno Mars. Like you better bring it. Like we're not like don't don't come here with no laziness. And so that's one of the great things about there. It's there is a real energy that the audience brings that the um that the artists whether they are performers or panelists or mcs or djs or dancers like whatever they are they they come at it with a certain kind of energy <laughs> i, I even got that. to see some operas at the apollo <laughs> I, I, oh. I yeah yeah cause, see because because i know this is produced by <laughs> so, um, yeah, we all they, we all chuckle yeah so uh there was a uh there was a opera called yardbird about charlie mm -hmm. parker oh and then, yeah and then they had another one that was called we shall not be moved which was both in conjunction with opera philadelphia and i like that it kind of shows the diversity of our community um it, it, it's, it's one of the things i love about here that's beautiful and is also just so black for an audience <laughs> to have like a dialogue like that. Mm. Like for it to, I, I that's the kind of thing I can only, at least in my life, that I mostly see happening in very black spaces mm -hmm. that you have that call and response that 
that conversation, like there's a presentational aspect, but it's, it's given receive the audience has to feel it. If you're gonna, if you're gonna keep going and it also just, it warms my heart that we put on our best for each other like that mm-hmm, in that mm-hmm. space. Absolutely. Like, I, I just love that. I just love that, that we have to, we know that among us is where we have to actually show out the most, you know, not you for other it. folks. Like, <laughs> yeah, you said it. Yeah. It, yeah. When, when you come, it, it doesn't matter if they love you everywhere else and then you come home and folks is like, you I like nobody <laughs> wants that. Mm-hmm. Shoot, you get dissed for that if you black. Like, what? You, do, you out here, you know, acting like your big stuff, but no one oh, knows you word, back home. Word. No one likes you back home. They don't right. claim you back home. Yeah, I'm mm. gonna tell you a story about that off air. <laughs> I, I got a great story about that off air. Okay. <laughs> well, another part of your fabulous career um, is your work as an editor at DC Comics, and I think. Uh, my older sister would never forgive me if I didn't ask you any questions about that because I think other than our very own Dr. Lee yeah. Bynum, I uh, <laughs> I do not know a bigger comic book nerd um, on earth. I, I, actually, that's the, the whole reason I'm on your podcast now is because Lee and I met uh, at a on a comic book panel about the Black Panther at yep. Columbia University. Really? We're on this panel and everyone's cool. still, and, and, and every time Lee said something, I was like, oh, right? He knows. He knows. <laughs> <laughs> and after the panel, like we connected and, you know, it, it's, it's been a love fest ever since. So, so yeah, co- hit, hit me with a comic question. I'm sure people are like, what the hell do comic books have to do with a radio show and com- in Harlem? But we, I'm, I'm we contain multitudes. Yeah. They know that we're nerds, I know. Our audience knows we're nerds. So yeah. Yeah. Oh, oh, no, for sure. Well, I saw an interview with you and you were talking about, you know, a thesis that you wrote um, in college um, and how that led to your job at DC Comics. And so I'm just so curious about, like, I just wanted just... I don't have like a specific question in mind because I just want to know as much as I can about this thesis that you wrote (laughs) about the history of black characters and and comic books and how that, you know, led to the work that you did. Um, Okay. So that that is a long multi-year answer. (laughs) Really, really hard to make it as concise as possible. So this is how they all connect. So I said, I saw, Ray Charles in Amherst, Massachusetts. That's because I was a college student at the University of Massachusetts at Amherst at the time. Um, I was an Afro-Am major, and I had to do a senior thesis on something African-American history related. And I could not think of anything that might be of any interest to the professors. And... So eventually I came up with the idea of doing a comic a thesis on the history of black characters as superhero comics and what they reflected about their time. And the whole kind of premise was that comics are art and art reflects the times. And mm-hmm. so 
it is not coincidental that when they introduce Sam Wilson as the Falcon in Marvel Comics, that he's dressed and he looks a little like Sidney Poitier, right? Mm-hmm. That, that, he's, that he's got like Martin Luther King Jr. mannerisms. And it's also not coincidental that when he has to fight other Black villains, that those villains tend to look like Black Panthers, meaning not the superheroes, mm. but like they got dashikis mm-hmm. and they've got yeah. afros or what have you, right? Comics always reflect the mores, the values of the time, like, and that's always been the case. And so we don't always catch it, but that's always the case. Like, um, and so that was the basis of the thesis. And so I was a comic book lover. Some of you know, there's a lot of information that I walked in knowing, but there was a lot of research I had to do. And eventually, um, once I finished the thesis, I sent a copy to my cousin who was got me interested in comics when we were little kids. And so I sent him a note saying, Thank you for helping me graduate from college, right? <laughs> and then as fate would have it, my cousin is at a party and meets the president of DC Comics, right? And so he basically talks to her, talks me up. She's like, well, he can send me his resume. And my cousin's like, well, he's about to graduate. He doesn't have much experience. And she's like, well, when he gets more experience, tell he can send a resume. And my cousin luckily was like, well, he doesn't have a lot of experience, but he did this 100-page thesis. And she was like, well, haven't sent me the thesis. And that, mm. uh, and luckily, she, I, she that was enough to open the doors for me at DC Comics. Um, when I got to DC Comics, as an editor, your job basically is to kind of produce and create by putting artists, the right artists together. So you find, hey, you're trying to write this, you're trying to have this kind of comic. Well, I like this writer because he has this kind of voice and this penciler is a great match for this particular project. And then I got to have the colorist who's the right colorist for the right flavor for this particular, blah, blah, blah. So you're putting it all together. You're editing scripts and you're kind of doing this creative collaboration. And so I learned a lot of how to do that and also how to market the comic because I the first comic I got was about to get canceled and I had to learn, well, this is not really my job to market the comic, but I don't want to get canceled. And then they go, well, we gave the brother a chance. And of course, his comic got canceled. See what happens, right? So I put in extra work. And so, um, so that's how I started doing comics. And eventually when it was time to look for another direction at that particular time my father was one of the creators of the harlem week festival so for those who are unaware Mm. there's we there's an annual festival in harlem where it's vendors and food and concerts but also conferences and panel discussions and sports and events for kids and senior citizens and you name it and so you know, I was leaving DC Comics, I'm looking for the next job, and I'm like, well, Dad, you know, since Harlem Week is coming up, let me kind of help you and help the board out and contribute some time with some of these new skill sets I've learned, you know, before I go on and do my next thing. And 
And that ended up instead of being a summer job, I, the next thing I did was like six and a half years late. <laughs> <laughs> My father is a very, very persuasive man. And um, so I learned how to do like event productions and that kind of thing um, during Harlem week. And then that led to the Apollo theater job and then the Apollo theater uh, skills and what have you helped lead to me doing the radio show. So that's how they all connect. Um, and your sister likely has really, really good taste. And, and I feel vindicated because <laughs> I was a kid on the, on the subway train, like reading comic books as like a teenager or a young adult. And folks would be like rolling their eyes like he's not as big as he is and he's still reading some comic books and now look the whole world look, you look at all the top movies and tv shows and what have you now everybody loving comic books like mm -hmm. i knew where wakanda was when i was four <laughs> years old y'all just getting up on it. i said it no and she's set for life because she's got these books and books of all these x-men number five and whatnot sitting in her storage locker and i'm just like man <laughs> yeah, so, so make, make, make sure you're nice to her I, oh I always am, always am. But, but, but I think you know one of the things I want to kind of make sure folks hear is you know in a certain way I think my experience is certainly I guess unique but one of the things that was important for me to figure out like I had a summer job once that I hated and I knew like okay my folks ain't rich so I'm gonna have to work I don't want to spend my working time doing something that I hate. And eventually I learned like, well, all these things that I really love, whether it's comic books or concerts or productions or radio, what have you, like those are jobs. And so I really push people to try to like embrace their passions and see where they take you. When I was working on that thesis in, in college, I had no idea that was going to lead to a job. I just knew, well, I'm going to do my best work if it's something that I'm interested in instead of just phoning it in and being like, oh, uh, you know, Martin Luther King, March in, you know, 1963. Like, let me like do something that I'm actually passionate about. And you never know where your passion is going to take you. But you want to make sure you're taking the opportunity to kind of hone it and get better at it. So you're not just like you know, being a fan, but like being a bit of an expert and doing the extra work. Um, so I really hope that that's the kind of takeaway that people get from that story. And I also hope the other takeaway is people go, man, I got to listen to that Harlem Connection radio show. It sounds so good. <laughs> so, so that's where I'm going to ask for for, for help from all you scorekeepers, right? Which is, you know, I'm doing something kind of experimental. It's not, you know, my 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 radio show isn't a hip hop radio show. It's not an old school radio show. It's a little bit of everything. That has made it challenging, like to at some places where they're like, well, we only play such and such, you know, like our station only does such and such. But I really believe that there is an audience for people who love diversity. I really believe that there's an audience out there that's not just into a straight cookie cutter, like, hey, we only do this. So I hope that your scorekeepers will 
be scorekeepers, but they will also be Harlem Connection passengers. I hope they will get on board the Harlem Connection and enjoy the ride. So anyone who's interested in doing that, um, our Twitter handle is Harlem Connect FM. So that's Harlem Connect FM. And our Facebook and Instagram are the name of the show, The Harlem Connection. And we are on live on Friday nights. But uh, if folks are can't listen to us Friday nights, 10 o'clock on WBAI or rhythmandsoulradio.com. They can go to wbaiorg slash archive. And whatever we play for a two-week period will be available to for streaming on demand. And again, every single week, we give different flavors and different themes, and we have a lot of fun and I really hope folks will not only tune in, but spread the word through social media and other means, because I, I think we got something here. I think so, too. Yeah. And, and I'm glad that you made some time to come on the show this morning and share some of your experience and some of what you're working on. And I think the scorekeepers will be very intrigued and entertained by what they will encounter on the Harlem Connection. So thank you again for being here this morning, Ade. Thank you so much for having me. I, I hope I answered all the questions and, and, and didn't blow it or, or forget anything. But if if I did, then you'll just have to have me back. I'm, I'm ready next week. <laughs> <laughs> thank you well, so much. Yes, thank you so much. And everybody, all the scorekeepers, all that information is going to be in the show notes and all the links. So go check out the Harlem Connection. Thank you so much for being here. This was such a wonderful conversation. Thank you. And we'll be right back with Pure Black Joy. Woohoo! We are back. We just want to thank Ade Williams once again for being with us. And now it is time for our favorite part of the show. Are you ready, Paige? Ready, Freddy. All right. And a one, and a two, and a one, two, three, four. It's peanut butter jelly time. Peanut butter jelly time. Peanut butter jelly time. Peanut butter jelly. Peanut butter jelly. Peanut butter jelly with a baseball bat. Peanut butter jelly. Peanut butter jelly. Peanut butter jelly with a baseball bat. Peanut butter yes. jelly, peanut butter jelly. Hey. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I feel like I always cut you off early. I apologize. It's okay because I switch up the ending every time. You really? <laughs> <laughs> it's just whatever I'm feeling. It yes, really it, is. Yes, and, and, and total, total, uh, uh, what's the word that I'm looking for? Disclosure. Um, we're, we're, we're recording two episodes today, so I'm excited to see what you do for the second one. <laughs> <laughs> because you said that, I'm going to intentionally make it different. Oh, Lord. Okay, I'm going to be on my toes. <laughs> um, yes, this is Pure Black Joy. This is where we talk all about the Black people, places, things, music, culture that is making us happy this week. Um, so who would like to go first? Anyone? I guess I could go first. I'm okay. just sitting here, not doing anything else. In your um, cathedral. In my cathedral. Um, <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, so my very favorite actress in the world, Miss Angela Bassett is yes. continuing her world domination tour, having won the Critics' Choice and the Golden Globe Awards for Best Supporting Actress for Black Panther, Wakanda Forever. Super excited for her. Wish her luck at the SAG Awards and what I am assuming will be a golden Oscar award ceremony mm -hmm. for her next month. Um, just very, very happy about it. Absolutely love the movie. Um, I thought, you know, she was absolutely brilliant in it. Um, mm -hmm. They knew exactly how to utilize her, how to dress her. The costumes are ridiculous. Everybody looks so good. It, I mean, it's such a great year between um, Wakanda Forever and The Woman King for movies with large ensemble cast of black actresses been very very excited <laughs> about that and um abbott elementary which had a great showing at uh the tv versions of those award shows also great ensemble cast and big shouts to cheryl lee ralph a talented jamaican actress as we know um and quinta and Tyler, better known to Black America as Everybody Hates Chris, and <laughs> everybody else on the show for also all of these awards that they keep snatching. Um, it's a great time to be watching TV or movies if you like fiction. Um, it's just been wonderful, just absolutely wonderful. And I just have to say, I mean, obviously, Angela Bassett could wear a potato sack and look <laughs> like a queen. but that's that silver dress that she wore yes. at the golden globes and her hair yes. I, and the makeup and the, good it. god yeah everything it even was such wakanda a moment forever, even wakanda forever like i found myself any scene she was in i was looking at her yeah. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. <laughs> like <Absolutely>. <laughs> <laughs> she is she was a scene stealer like I mean, there's just her, I mean, one, there's already her in just her presence. Like, again, mm -hmm. she could be wearing a potato sack. In those <laughs> I still would be looking at her, but then like the costume just, just added to it. Ugh. Ugh. yeah. So deserved. So, so deserved. And I just cannot wait to see her saunter up to that Oscar stage and collect her things. Her, yes. Yes. Just like Beyonce better be getting her things at the Grammys on February 5th. I, I, I mean, I know. <laughs> <laughs> if they want to keep any credibility that they have. Thank you. Right. <laughs> right. I just had to add that. But back to Angela. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but just so well-deserved, just for such an amazing career. Yeah. Absolutely. Nobody's got that resume. Um, and it's it's just so rewarding to see it and for a movie that I enjoyed as much as I did. You know, I always want people to get their flowers, but it's really nice when they do for something that it feels like itself was like a monument to Black excellence. So. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Paige, what's making you happy this week? Yes. Um, you know what? I had one thing, but 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 Lee, uh your comment about like this and Woman King and mm -hmm. these these things with strong um 
you know, Black female cast reminds me of something I heard about this series, African Queens, that Jada Pinkett Smith is, I think, is producing. Wait, what is one this? Of the, yes. So it is... Um, I want to say maybe it's a thing that'll come out either like end of this year or I think it's, I think it was giving like end of this year or something mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. And it is about like real African queens, Ooh. rulers. Ooh. Yes. Oh. And so it looks like, it looks like it's kind of like documentary, but also it's the kind that's giving you like actors reenacting the stories you know like it just it looks like it is going to be beautiful and well done and yeah like it's going to be a series oh right okay right Right? i need to google this um thank you you, jada (laughs) (laughs) i'm so glad you brought up woman king because i completely (sighs) forgot that i had read about it this week hello adhd but yeah that made me excited But my other pure black joy that was my originally planned one <laughs> was this um my my partner Nadine is my pure black joy uh Nadine yes. <laughs> I mean they're amazing all the time uh but there's a couple things um one their organization Birth Revolution is launching its first doula training cohort this summer summer of 2023 it was just announced yay it's the only for me it's the only black queer and trans led doula training that i know of Hmm. so Hmm. just putting that out there Mm -hmm. that's also that is something to put out there and if you you know if you want to if you know somebody who wants to be a doula where training black and indigenous queer and trans doulas for free uh so there is that um yeah for the free for the free 99 for the free for the free Mm -hmm. and i'm just so proud of them because this doula training has like okay yeah all the stuff about like birth that you need but also all the social stuff that i felt like was so important and is not part of a lot of other trainings um so just shout out to them and um, they're getting an award from the P Fund of Minnesota, yes. a Moxie Award. Yeah, <laughs> for them and their individual doula work, their their company doula for all, for you know advancing LGBTQ equity in Minnesota, uh, <laughs> for doing amazing work as a birth worker. Um, so I'm just I'm just so freaking proud of them. They're Aww. so smart and amazing and beautiful and like wow. So, yeah congrats to my partner nadine that is, congratulations. That is so <laughs> awesome are there like links and stuff that we can point people to if they want to do the yes. training and all that stuff absolutely i will okay. show you the link to sign up registration is open fabulous well we'll put all of that in the show notes and everybody go sign up right now <laughs> yes <why not? laughs> And congratulations, Nadine. That's amazing. Yay. Yay. That's my baby. <laughs> <laughs> well, my pure black joy is that tomorrow the three of us are going to be getting on planes and we will be hey. heading to Detroit. 
Paige's hometown. Hey, um, what up, though? <laughs> to um, go be a part of Sphinx Connect, which is um, the big annual conference of the Sphinx organization, which is a social justice organization um, that's focused on increasing representation um, for uh, Black and Latinx artists in classical music and recognizing their excellence. So I'm so excited to go and hear some good music, to meet some beautiful Black and Brown faces, and maybe we'll, we're still kind of working it out, but to sort of be a part of things, maybe talk to some people, have some people on the show, um, and introduce you to some Black and Brown folks that are doing some big things um, in the classical music space, so... I'm super excited and I'm, I've am i never been to Detroit. So I'm excited to see a new city also. It's so wild to me Yay. you've never been to Detroit. I've never been to Detroit. Where I, you been? Wow. I don't know. Why am I so- <laughs> 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 like, I don't know. <laughs> Is that weird? Yes. <laughs> just a little bit. Just a little bit. I mean, I think part of it is just that like Detroit is just so black and mm-hmm. cultural mm-hmm. and you real mm-hmm. black and cultural. So mm-hmm. I would just think that you've been there. Right. Same, same. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I mean, I guess that makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> but look, here's the thing. Before I moved here, I was I had a big chip on my shoulder about the East Coast. So oh, okay. I, well. I just kind of stayed in the mid-Atlantic. <laughs> <laughs> I know that chip. I know it well. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm glad you get to see the city now. Yes. I'm Better like, late yes. than never. Better late right. than never. Exactly. We're and so, yeah. Time. So, yes. Yes, we, we are. are. And Sphinx, here we come. Really good food, too. I don't mm-hmm. know why you didn't mm-hmm. mention that because that's on the list. Amazing yes. food. I'm going to show y'all where Aretha Franklin got her furs. I'm hey. going <laughs> to. <laughs> <laughs> beautiful gals, beautiful gals. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's gonna be a it's gonna be a time. We're gonna have a time. And um and of course we're gonna tell all of you all about it. Um can't wait for that. So stay tuned. Um, but I think that's gonna do it for this week um all of the things what are all of the things subscribe (laughs) on your podcast app of choice um leave a review on apple Podcasts. i should i i haven't checked it in a while we should see if there are some reviews yeah (laughs) okay i I will do that things this whole time (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> we're just sitting here like that one is not going to be but yes leaving a review on Apple Podcasts especially really really helps us out and leaving five stars um, and um, tell your little friends about us because we're mm-hmm. fun um, and I think that's it that's it right yeah that's it yeah that's it Speaking of ADHD. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So any words of wisdom before we head out? Mm. 
lift with your knees, not your back. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's a good one. Speaking of moving. Yeah, that's a really good one. There you go. Yeah. Especially with the snow child. Mm-hmm. Yes, and the I'll shoveling. Oh my goodness gracious. And if it snows one more time, I swear to God. But it will. I was about to say, choose your next words carefully because it's probably going <laughs> to snow this afternoon. <laughs> <laughs> oh God. All right. Everyone stay warm. I have to go take to my bed. I can't. <laughs> All right. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye bye.